Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially, you can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. All right, my name's Cameron. I'm one of the pastors here, one of the elders at GBC, and I'm grateful to talk about prayer this morning with you. You know, we're on this conversation about prayer and fasting preparation for the 21 days of prayer that's coming. If you're new to Grace, uh, we every year for the last eight or nine years have been practicing prayer and fasting for 21 consecutive days, not just as a church, Grace, but as a church, the Capital C Church in the Heartland region. We have about 12 to 15 churches that we link arms with for 21 days and we meet together and we pray together and we fast together and we worship together and we believe God for revival together. Now, usually we kick off the year in January as an on-ramp to having an excellent year of gospel intentionality and collaboration. But this year, the pastors were just convinced, you know what, we need to switch things up and let's move the 21 days of prayer and fasting as the run-up to the event of human history. Resurrection Sunday. And so this year we are praying and fasting starting on March 20th, Monday. And we are going to pray and fast and ask God to break through in the hearts of the people in our community. And then on that 21st day, we will gather together for Resurrection Sunday. Not here, but we are going to be at the racetrack for Resurrection Sunday. And we are going to be partnering with Wings of Faith Christian Worship Center, one of our local Abide brother and sister churches. It's going to be awesome and epic and beautiful and wonderful. And we want you to be there. We also want you to invite folks. Uh, but the, the work that's going to get us there is going to be prayer. And so I want to talk to you guys about prayer this morning. We are serious about believing God for revival this Year. I don't know if you've been paying attention to what God had been doing last month in Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury College. Uh, but God had birthed revival. Prayer and confession and repentance of sin for a month and a half. Led by none other than the millennial generation that statistics say are by and large abandoning organized religion. And self-identifying as the nuns, the religiously non-affiliated. For the last month and a half, God has been doing a revival work on college campuses all across the country. Which seems to point to one very real and raw fact. People are hungry for more. I don't know if you are. Other people. I'm hungry for more, for more of God, for more of God's presence, for more of God's power. Last week, we took uh, a portion of our staff up to Orlando for a church planting and multiplication 
conference. You heard Dustin last week. We don't know what God is calling us to do, but we are convinced that it has something to do with duplicating and multiplying the work of God in the Heartland region through church planting or revitalization or merger. Well, we don't know. And so we took our team up to the largest church planting and multiplication conference in the world. And we gathered together for four days with thousands of men and women and kingdom citizens who are committed to Jesus-centered, gospel-multiplying saturation from all over the world. And on Tuesday of last week in the afternoon, we got to taste a little bit of, I believe, what God had been doing at Asbury. Thousands of people on their face Tuesday afternoon crying out in confession and repentance and asking God for more more of his presence, more of his power in our hearts and in our homes and in our communities and in the places that we work. And I just, man, I feel like God wants to move and we are ripe for a move of God in our community. We are ripe for it. People kept taking us aside and saying, wait a second, you guys have a collaborative movement amongst a number of different churches in one community and you guys haven't started planting churches and multiplying yourselves all over the place yet? Man, you guys are ripe for a move of God. And God began to convict and refresh and renew our hearts as a staff. And y'all, we came home expectant for God to move. And I think we're ripe for a move of God because let's be honest, these last few years have been brutal. Like we, we haven't talked about it a whole lot because who wants to look backwards? But like these last few years, we have, we've gone through it. We have experienced political polarization, economic uncertainty. We've seen social unrest, racial injustice, global wars. All of that has been exacerbated by these stupid things which has created this phenomenon of social media and this unsettling sense uh, that we are being reinforced in our, our own ideological echo chambers where we only listen to the people that agree with us and think like us and have talking points that we already agree with. And man, I just, I don't know about you, but I am ready for God to reclaim his rightful place as Lord and as sovereign over the universe in all of our lives and in our community. The New Testament letter of Colossians, it talks about Jesus being preeminent. Preeminent, it's a fancy word that means first place. Priority, supremacy. Now here's the kicker. Jesus is already preeminent, okay? He's already first, whether we acknowledge him as first in our lives or not. He is the author of creation. He is the sustainer. He is the aim of all creation. And so by virtue of his nature and his identity and his work as the savior, as the creator, as the sustainer, he is first. Now what we've been called to do as the people of God is to align and orient our lives around his first place-ness. Jesus is to be first in our families and in our relationships, in our finances, in our sexuality, and our hopes and our dreams and our aspirations, first place in our extracurricular activity, first place in our retirement, first place in our fill in the blank. Jesus is to be first place over everything. Abraham Kuyper, prime minister over the Netherlands at the turn of the 20th century, prolific theologian, statesman, 
writer, he, he penned these powerful words years ago. He says this, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. And it is prayer that awakens us to this reality. It is prayer that aligns our hearts with God's intentions to do just what Kuiper proclaims. To assert his lordship in our lives so that every square inch of our lives come under the authority and the reign and the rule of King Jesus. It is prayer, grace, that nurtures this awareness of God's holy pleasure and his loving delight over us and in us and through us. It is prayer that will be the work that equips us and empowers us to do all that God has called us to be. A real talk, I suck at prayer. Just being honest. I've said it last two services, so it's okay for me to be transparent in this one. I struggle with prayer. My consistency. I can't sit still. I can't stand still. Y'all see me walking back and forth. Prayer is hard. And so what I don't want to do this morning is this is what happens when we preach on prayer once a year. Everybody gets convicted or guilty or full of shame. And so you pray really great today, really great tomorrow, maybe into next week. But then, you know, inevitably we kind of slide back into, oh, man, I need to spend some time with Jesus. And, oh, man, I'll talk with God on the run. And so I don't, I don't want to guilt trip anybody. And so what I do want to do is I want to talk about prayer from a, a, a bit of a different angle this morning. I want, to, I want to introduce two different concepts about prayer. Prayer in the air and prayer on the ground. Prayer in the air and prayer on the ground. And hopefully this is going to kind of encompass all of what God has called us to be and to do as people called to have an intimate, prayerful, dependent relationship on him. There's a million ways we could have got at this prayer conversation, like all throughout the scriptures and even through church history. I mean, there are different kinds of prayers. There are prayers of lament when we're so broken by our sin or the sin around us that we don't even know what to say, so we just weep. There are prayers of confession, prayers of adoration, prayers of thanksgiving. There are prayers of intercession. Do you know what intercessory prayer is? Some of you have been called to be intercessors. Intercessory prayer is when we don't just pray for a thing, but through a thing. We don't stop praying until God answers. Either the circumstance changes, he brings healing, he brings clarity, or God does something else to land that plane. Some of us are called to pray through, not just for a thing. Prayers of confession for our own sin, prayers of rejoicing, I mean, all kinds of different prayers in the scriptures. But I want to take a bigger view of prayer this morning. Prayer in the air and prayer on the ground. Now, prayer in the air, it's easy to explain. Prayer in the air is this high view of prayer where we look at God first. We look at God and what he is like and who he is and what he's done and all of the beautiful, glorious, praiseworthy, majestic things that revolve around him. And we allow that to flavor our prayers on the ground. Prayers on the ground, that's the nitty gritty where the rubber meets the road. 
where we're in the dirt and in the ditch and we are learning to walk out a life here and now through dependency upon God in the school of prayer. Prayer in the air, prayer on the ground. Now, prayer in the air, there's a handful of places in the scriptures that teach this idea. Uh, But the most important for me is where Jesus teaches us, where he models for us what prayer should look like. Matthew chapter 6, if you want to turn there. Jesus is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. It's the first of the big bodies of Jesus' teaching in the book of Matthew. There's five bodies of teaching throughout the book of Matthew. Jesus, uh, Matthew is the most Jewish of the Gospels. There are five sermons, bodies of teaching in Jesus' ministry in Matthew. There are five books of Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. There is this beautiful picture of Matthew being the most Jewish of the gospel and how Jesus is the fulfillment of everything we see in the Old Testament. I don't know why I said that. That wasn't in any other service, but that one's for free. And so this first body of teaching, Jesus' ministry in Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, here's the context. He's talking about three specific practices that we are to be doing before the Father, before the audience of one. Our giving, our fasting, and our praying. He says a lot about prayer. We're going to talk about some of it, but in chapter 6, verse 9, he gives us what we call the model prayer. This isn't about what to pray. This is about the posture of prayer. It's, it's a framework for prayer. In other words, Jesus is going to show us prayer in the air and prayer on the ground. Look how he starts. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. Jesus says, pray then like this. We all know this. Even if church isn't your thing, you've heard this a time or two. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus starts with prayer in the air. He starts with God and his glory. His name, his kingdom and his will. And then Jesus switches it up and he, he moves from God to us. He moves from the air to the ground. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins and deliver us from temptation and from the evil one. He starts in the air and he moves down to the ground. He starts with God and his glory and then he moves to us and our needs. But where does he start? He starts in the air. Why? Why does Jesus start up here? Because the nature and the character of God, who he is, what he has done, what is praiseworthy and majestic and worthy about him should influence and inform how we pray down here on the ground. Genuine Christian prayer is always first and foremost concerned with God and his glory before it's ever concerned with man and his needs. Jesus wants us to take our cues from him. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You know what it means to pray for God's name to be hallowed? You know what it means to be hallowed? To hallow something is to make it holy and to treat it as reverent. Spoiler alert, God's name is already hallowed and holy. Jesus is inviting us to pray that our lives would so reflect that God's name is holy, that his name would be treated as holy in and around and through our lives. Your kingdom come, God. 
Your will be done. Your kingdom come. You know what he's asking us to pray for? That God's reign and rule, that the reign and rule of King Jesus would hold sway in the lives of those around us. That we would be people that are led by the spirit of God and that our lives would reflect the kingdom of God. And that his will, God's will would come on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know how God's will is accomplished in heaven? Immediately. Without reservation. And with great joy. That's how God's will is accomplished in heaven. Jesus is inviting us to pray that that would happen right here on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, we're praying that God would remove hard hearts from our neighbors and our friends and our family members. And render them gentle and submissive to the ways and to the will of King Jesus. Prayer in the air comes first. Because this kind of prayer, it sets the agenda for prayer on the ground. Does that make sense? Prayer in the air should be the the barometer for how we pray on the ground. Because when we get this order right, we will find that our prayers won't be driven only by our neediness and our longing, but by our hope that God would also glorify himself through our circumstances. Prayer in the air bookends the requests that we make known to God with our earnest hope and desire that God's purposes will be accomplished on earth as it is in heaven. Let me talk practically. I heard a preacher years ago speak of a debilitating disease that he had wrestled with for many years. He believed that God could heal him. He even asked God to heal him from time to time, but he allowed prayers in the air to drive prayers on the ground. This is kind of what it sounded like. Oh God, I've heard him pray before. Oh God, take this thing from me. You are the great physician and you are still in the miracle working business. So God, if it would bring you great glory, heal me. However, God, if this thing in my life might make your name more famous, if your name might be hallowed and your kingdom might come in a greater capacity and if your will might be accomplished in greater measure, then leave me be for your glory. Prayer in the air drives prayer on the ground. Prayer in the air, God first. Christ is to be preeminent. Let's talk about prayer on the ground though, because this is where the rubber meets the road. Like this is where we get intensely practical. It's where our prayers have some actions attached to them. Now, for those of you who take notes, prayer on the ground has a priority, a place, and a practice to it. Prayer on the ground has a priority, a place, and a practice to it. Let's talk priority. Uh, Just before this Lord's Prayer, this model prayer, look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. Prayer on the ground has a priority to it. Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 5, but when you pray, stop. Not if, but when. But when you pray, there is an assumption that prayer will be the regular and routine rhythm in the life of disciples of Jesus Christ. But when you pray, not if. He doesn't just say it here in verse 5, look at verse 6. But when you pray, go into your prayer closet, shut the door, and pray to your father who is in secret. He does it again in verse 7. And when you pray, not if, not if. But when, Grace, there is a priority to prayer. 
begs the question, when do you pray, church? Do you schedule it? Do you rhythm it into your busy schedule? Are you making time to listen for your heavenly father's voice? Do you carve out margin in your day and in your week just to listen and sit with him, to ask him to remind you of his great love to you and for you and through you? Do you start your day trying to center your heart in his? When's the last time you just sat with God looking at him, looking at you in love? Oh man, I heard that a couple of months ago and I just can't shake this idea of sitting with my heavenly father, looking at him, looking at me in love. That is his disposition towards those who belong to his family. Those of us who have been clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, made complete in him. We are his being loved children and he wants us to sit with him looking at him, looking at us in love. Do do you tell him that you need him? That you have no idea how to parent these children? That you have no idea how to process that last conflict with your spouse? That you don't know how to unpack that last heated conversation at work? Have you invited him to lead you in your decision-making? Not if we pray, but when? Church, I've already said it. I got to confess, like God is calling me out on some of my prayerlessness. And this last week, away at Exponential, God impressed upon my heart something very convicted. And this is basically what I sense the Lord saying to me in a time of prayer and confession and repentance. He was revealing to me that I have reached the limit of what I can accomplish for his church and for my family through my own ingenuity, charisma, and hard work. I've been doing a lot of this in the flesh. My flesh is good. I can get a lot accomplished for the kingdom. And the Lord's calling me out on that. You know, for the last couple of years, ever since the pandemic coming out of that, and it was just, it was a hard, 2020 was hard for me as a pastor, just experienced so much cognitive dissonance and brokenness and division in the church and in the country. We all walked through that. But since then, God has been like shrinking my capacity. I don't know if that makes sense. But God has been shrinking my capacity, my ability to spin plates and accomplish tasks and consume content and be in six places at once and be the point person for three different missionary initiatives and to do this and to do that. And man, just to have incredible output for the kingdom. And I feel like God has been shrinking my capacity and instead inviting me back to my prayer closet. Because the real work, church, the real work is prayer. I believe that and I've been convicted of it. The real work is aligning our hearts with God's heart so that we can be so convinced of the thing that God is calling us to. Real work is prayer. And we stink at it, by and large. There is a priority to prayer, not if, but when. I'm not here to guilt trip you. I'm here to empower you because there's not just a priority to prayer. There is a place of prayer as well. Flip back a page or two to Matthew chapter three. This is, this is, this is a discipline. 
How many of y'all are good at something? It takes discipline, doesn't it? Okay, point taken. Matthew chapter three, at the very end of the passage, Jesus has been baptized. He's been dunked in the Jordan and he comes up out of the water and you know what happens? Oh, the skies open up and there's a booming voice from heaven. That was a really good note. What did I hit? Was that a G? So one of y'all need to tell Pastor Dave, he won't let me sing on stage. So the father's voice booms down from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. And then the spirit of God comes and lights upon Jesus. What that means is that Jesus was fully man and he was indwelt by the spirit of God and empowered for ministry by the spirit, just like you and me. And the very next thing that happens to Jesus is not what you would expect because this is the launching pad from which Jesus will be sent out onto mission and ministry. Matthew chapter four, verse one, where does the spirit take Jesus first? To the wilderness. To fast for 40 days and 40 nights and then to be tempted by that rascally old devil, the serpent, Satan. Now, I don't know what you hear when you hear the word wilderness. Don't think of sand and heat, foliage, 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 foliage. I don't get out much, obviously. Don't think of a forest. The word's really interesting. It's the word erasmus, erasmus. It's got a lot of different translations in the ways that it's used uh, throughout uh, New Testament literature and even in uh, Greco-Roman literature. Uh, it's wilderness, it's desolate place. It's lonely place, solitary place. It's called the quiet place in some passages. The very first place that Jesus is taken is led by the spirit of God is to the erasmus, this wilderness, this lonely, this quiet Place. And it's important to see that this is where he starts his ministry and his mission. And, and I got to read out of a book that I'm reading right now because I can't say it any better than John Mark Comer. Pastor John Mark Comer used to pastor a church in Oregon, or uh, yeah, I think Portland, Oregon, Bridgetown Church. He's not there any longer, but this book is called The, uh, the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Uh, and he talks about this idea of this wilderness place, this erasmus. And let me, let me read to you page 124. Not that that means a whole lot to you. Uh, but this is what he says. It, it's an odd story, right? Jesus being led out into the wilderness by the spirit. Have you ever read that line? Jesus was led by the spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil and thought to yourself, what is up with that? I mean, if you've been reading the Bible from Genesis up to Matthew, you get that Jesus has to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with the devil. The protagonist must face the bad guy to end all bad guys. Evil has to be defeated. You get that. But why in the wilderness? Why alone? Why after 40 days of fasting when he's hungry? For years, this story made no sense to me, Comer says, because I thought of the wilderness as a place of weakness. I read it this way, man, isn't that so like the devil to come at us at the end of a long day or a long week when we're hangry and at our worst? But then I realized I had it backwards. The wilderness isn't the place of weakness. It's the place of strength. Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness because it was there, only there, that Jesus was at the height 
of his spiritual powers. And it was only after a month and a half of prayer and fasting in the quiet place that he had the capacity to take on the devil himself and walk away unscathed. That's why over and over again you see Jesus retreating to the quiet place, the wilderness, the erasmus. Matthew's gospel, it doesn't tell us a whole lot about what happens next, not as specifically as Mark's gospel does. See, this is really neat. I need you to see it. In Mark's gospel, uh, there's just this aside about Jesus going into the wilderness. And then it tells us in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is like this marathon long day of ministry from beginning to end, sun up to sundown. And in Mark chapter 1, we're told that in verse 15, Jesus leaves the wilderness after 40 days, comes into Capernaum preaching and teaching that the gospel has come. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. And then he goes to the Sea of Galilee and he calls James and John and Peter and Andrew. And then he goes to the synagogue to teach and preach and he ends up casting out unclean spirits. And then he goes to Simon Peter's house and he heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law during lunchtime. And then everybody brings to him all of the diseased and sick and demonized. All nighter, all nighter. And you know what he does the very next day? Mark chapter one, verse 35. Here's my paraphrase. And a great while before daylight, Jesus got up and went off to a solitary place to pray. Let me clarify this for you. A month and a half Jesus spends in the wilderness place, fasting and praying with the Father, battling the forces of darkness, being equipped and prepared for ministry. He comes into town for one long marathon day of ministry. And the very next day before the sun is even up. He goes right back to the wilderness. You know what this tells us? That the erasmos, that the wilderness, that, that, that prayer on the ground has a place to it. And it is a place of incredible equipping. Uh, l- l- let me invite Pastor John Mark one more time to read to us. L- listen to this. Because he picks up the story here for us on page 126. He says, the story isn't over. Jesus goes off a great while before daylight to pray. And Simon and his companions wake up and they go to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaim, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. And here's John Mark Comer's paraphrase. Jesus, where have you been? You were amazing yesterday. Words out. Vogue is calling for an interview. TMZ is hiding outside of Peter's house. Hashtag Jesus is trending. We need you back post haste. And what did Jesus say? We got to go somewhere else. Let's go to the nearby villages. I can preach there also. That's why I have come. That's Jesus for no. And then he says this. Notice Jesus came out of the wilderness with all sorts of clarity about his identity and his calling. He was grounded, he was centered, in touch with God and himself. And from that place of emotional equilibrium, he knew precisely what to say yes to and what to say no to. I say yes to everything. (laughs) I don't know how to say no. Some of that is ministry idolatry because I forget that my identity is rooted in who God says I am and I find my well done from you because I'm not spending time in the wilderness to be reminded by my heavenly father who and whose I am. 
And if this were the only times that Jesus went to the Erasmus, then I think we wouldn't really have something to talk about. But it wasn't. He went there repeatedly. After John the Baptist, his cousin lost his head. Guess where Jesus went? To the wilderness. Why? Because he was broken and he did not know how to process that loss. And he had to be with the Father. Before he calls the 12 disciples to him, he goes on top of a mountain. The word Erasmus isn't used, but he went off to a solitary place to pray. Same idea. Mark chapter 6. Turn there with me, a couple of pages to the left. Mark chapter 6, verse uh, to the right, sorry. Mark 6, to the right. This is cool. Jesus has just sent out the disciples for the very first time. He's been showing them, and now he's going to send them out and go and preach and cast out demons and proclaim liberty to the captives and preach the gospel. And they're coming back, and they're excited, and they're weary, and they're tired. And what does Jesus say? Mark chapter 6, verse 31. Come away by yourselves to a desolate wilderness place and rest a while. Jesus wanted to share this wilderness place with his disciples because he knew that they needed it too. Church, there's a priority to prayer on the ground. There is a place for prayer on the ground. Let's look at just one more place. I know I'm beating a dead horse, but we are stubborn and we struggle with prayer. Look at Luke, 15, uh, Luke chapter 5, a couple of pages to the right. Luke 5, 15 and 16. Luke writes, but now even more, the report about Jesus had went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Verse 16, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places and pray. This was his rhythm. This was his routine. And it's interesting, in Luke's gospel in particular, you can chart Jesus' life along two axis points. The busier he got, the more famous he got, the more in demand he got, the more he withdrew to the quiet wilderness place. Y'all, we get that backwards. The busier I get, the more in demand I get, the first thing to go is the quiet place. The first place to go is the wilderness where I can listen for my father's voice and be reminded who and whose I am. Not Jesus. Not Jesus. The more in demand he got, the more he snuck away to be before the Father. To sit and to pray, to read a psalm, to sigh out our desperation and neediness before the Father. To to maybe take an internal inventory in that quiet place before the Lord. To let our souls catch up with our bodies. Last time I'm grabbing from John Mark. But this is so good, listen to this. In seasons of busyness, we need more time in the quiet place, not less, definitely not less. And if you're running through your Rolodex of excuses right now, I'm a full-time mom, I have a demanding job that starts early, I'm an extrovert, I have ADHD, et cetera, stop for a minute, think about this, Jesus needed time in the quiet place. Why would it be any different for us? There's a priority to prayer on the ground. Not if, but when. There is a place of prayer on the ground. The Erasmus. Where's your place? Do you have one? Where could you go to retreat to be still with the Father? I forgot this the last two services. Maybe it's just meant for you. But if you need some help when you get there, we've created a short four-hour retreat guide for you. If you want to come and grab it. If you don't know what to do when you finally get to the quiet place with the Lord. Come and grab one of these. I can email it to you as well. 
if I tell you where my erasmus is, do you promise to not go there? Okay, thank you. Um, when I can get up before my children and when I have told my wife the day before that I'm actually going to try to get out early and do this because communication is king, um, I, I go to um, sit on the bench in the parking lot of St. Agnes Episcopal on Lakeview. You know where it's at. The bench is butted up right against the water so nobody's in front of you. The cross is right there to the right. And that's where I go and I sit and I try to listen for my heavenly father's voice. I try to sit and look at God looking at me in love. I haven't done it in a while and I need to do it again. I need to do it again. You better not be there. (laughs) When I get there, we're going to fight in the Lord. Prayer on the ground has a priority to it, has a place to it. It also has a practice to it. Let me land this plane. Way too many places to choose from, but I feel like this really struck a chord with where we're going for these 21 days of prayer and fasting. Jump to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Colossians 4, verse 2. Remember, prayer on the ground is where the rubber meets the road. It's where we get nitty and gritty. It's where we need some practical tools in order to live out this call of dependency upon God in prayer. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, this is what Paul writes. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue as if the assumption is disciples would pray. Remember, there's a priority to prayer, not if, but when. I don't even like how the ESV reads here. I'd rather the New American Standard. The NASB reads, be devoted to prayer. Come on, let's be honest. We're devoted to a lot of things. We're devoted to Zumba. We're devoted to Netflix binging. We're devoted to three hot meals a day. We're devoted to extracurricular Little League baseball. Are we devoted to prayer? Be devoted to it. Continue steadfastly in prayer. But don't just be devoted to it generically. Be devoted to it and watchful, he says, verse 2. Be watchful in it with thanksgiving. Why are we called to be watchful in it? Because when we are watchful in our devotion to prayer, we will take steps to make sure that it's part of our regular life the same way that we do with eating and sleeping. Being watchful in our prayer means that we will not be haphazard and forgetful. We will do what it takes to stay awake and to stay at the task for prayer. Mark chapter 1 verse 35, Jesus goes off to a solitary place to pray and he doesn't wake up the disciples. And remember what happens? They wake up and they go and they find him. They show up at a prayer gathering they weren't even invited to. 14 chapters later, Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane praying, begging them to stay awake. And they're falling asleep at the prayer gathering that Jesus is begging them to attend. What happened? Well, frankly, they got used to what they used to be crazy about. Chapter 1, Jesus hadn't done anything yet. But by chapter 14, he'd done all the miraculous work. And they began to take for granted. Jesus. Staying watchful in our devotion to prayer is fighting for it because we believe it is the necessary work. But we're also to be thankful. Why do you think thankfulness is necessary in this call to be devoted to prayer? Because if we lack gratitude in our prayer, we will be dominated by our laundry list of asks. And we will not remember and see and make much of what God has already done so that we're reminded that he answers prayers and he is a God 
who meets us in our desperation. Be devoted to prayer. Watchful in it with thanksgiving. And then he gives us two more specific things he asks for. He says, and pray for us also that we would have an open door for the gospel. And that verse 4, I would be clear and articulate in how I communicate the gospel. This is key for where we're heading in these next 21 days of prayer and fasting. And this is really unique because if you study the life of the Apostle Paul, man, he had all the words. All the words. You don't believe me? Go look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. That is one sentence in the Greek. No grammar, no punctuation, no periods. The longest run-on sentence in literature. I'm convinced of it. And Paul, who had been preaching and teaching and writing for decades, recognizes that even with all of his experiences and wisdom and words, that the right word at the right time is still a work of the Spirit. The right word at the right time is still a work of the spindor and the clarity of speech so that we would not fumble this when God gives us the opportunity to speak of the goodness of Jesus Christ. So here's an easy way that we're trying to do this together as a church. You probably didn't see it on your way in, but on that back wall as you go out, man, there's sticky notes all over the place. And those are the names of individuals and families that we commit to as a church praying for throughout these 21 days of praying and fasting so that when the event of human history comes, Resurrection Sunday, we will have bathed those folks in prayer for open doors and clarity and that hopefully you will invite them to join us for Easter Sunday. We're not here Easter Sunday. We're at the racetrack. And we're having a Sunday morning service with Wings of Faith, our brothers and sisters down the road. It's going to be epic. It's going to be powerful. It's going to fall flat if we are not devoted to prayer. And if we don't ask God to come and to do a work of revival in our hearts and in our cities. Check this power of the invitation video out as we close. Hi, GBC, I'm Jen. And I'm John. And we're the Layports. 12 years ago, we got an invite by our neighbor. Thank you, D. Woods. Uh, it was our first time at Easter Sunday, and we knew as soon as we walked in the door exactly what was missing from our life. It has totally changed the trajectory of our family. Um, for the last 10 years, I have served on the Kids Life team. And I've been a deacon for five or six years now. Um, the power of an invite is, is pretty powerful. Um, that knock on that door that for that day totally changed my life, my marriage, um, the way I raise my kids, and it's been, it's been pretty powerful. So I highly encourage everybody to invite a friend, a family member, um, plant a seed. You might not get them the first time, but you, you could get them the second time, so think about that. Yeah, so this Easter we're challenging you to invite someone in your circle. Uh, we will be praying as a church family. So on your way out, please grab a sticky note, write the name of someone that you're thinking about so that we can be praying for them. Be blessed. Indoors, the right word at the right time and the spirit to speak. If you need to process some of this with somebody else, we'll have some Stevens ministers down front. They're really good at listening to God and helping you get to him. There is no church this Wednesday night because of spring break. Be safe, chillins. Don't do nothing stupid, okay? Learn from our mistakes. Um, 
and make sure that you stop by, grab a sticky note and put some names on the board so that we as your church leadership team can come alongside of you praying for the power of an invite and for God to start to work on those names and those families even now. Father, as we go, we go in the power of your spirit, loved by the Father and dwelt by the Son. Thank you, God, that you are more committed to spreading your good news gospel to every nook and cranny of the Heartland region than we are. Convince us, God, that we are, though, the hands and feet that you want to use to make your good news known. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you guys. We'll see you.